1517 began and there was this Catholic priest um, named Martin Luther. And he was walking one day through the streets and he came upon a man that was in his church and the man was drunk, laying in the gutter. And he walked up to him and he just began to ask him the questions, what are you doing? I mean, why are you here? I mean, you've got a family, man. What's, what's going on with you? And the man reached in his pocket and he pulled out what the church would call an indulgence. An indulgence was something that you could buy to pay for your sins. What happened was Pope Leo X decided that he wanted to build this new sanctuary back to its prime. And so to do so, he began to sell these things from the church that if you came and bought them to begin with, your sins were covered. And so, man, Martin Luther began to look around and notice that lots of people had these indulgences. They pre-bought the price for their sin. Well, this tends to rub Martin Luther the wrong way because he believed like you and I do that there is one person that paid the price for our sins. And his name is Jesus. And so Martin Luther wrote the Pope and he said, listen, I, I think we've done something wrong here. And I don't want to challenge the church, but um, I think what we're doing is unbiblical. I believe that Jesus paid the price for our sins, and no one should pay for their own sins because Jesus paid it all. Amen. The Pope sent back a letter. The assembly stated something to this effect. You need to be quiet. So Martin Luther wrote out what we now know as the 95 Thesis. It's these 95 statements against the selling of indulgences. And he mails it off to all the churches everywhere, and he goes to a place of prominent worship, and he nails the thesis to the door. Pretty bold. So then the Pope spoke again. And they issued what they call the bull, which means this. When you're issued the bull, it means that you are no longer in the church. You're excommunicated. And he told Martin Luther this, if you don't take back all that you've written, including 45 manuscripts that you've written, including the 95 Thesis, the bull will be issued unto you. Martin Luther took the bull and he burned it. And he simply stated this, I'd rather err on the side of Jesus than the church. Did Jesus pay it all, really? Because I, I want you to know something. As the church... We can declare that, but what we declare for you doesn't matter. What you declare from the truth of the Word of God matters. So do you believe that Jesus paid it all for you? Because if not today, my prayer is this, that you will have something nailed into your heart from Martin Luther's very lips that just declares this. Jesus is enough for you. He is more than enough. In fact, if you'll allow him to, he will boil over in your life. Because that's what he desires to do. He doesn't want to leave you where you are. He doesn't want you to be okay as a Christian. He wants you to be dynamic, living, alive, and full of him and his spirit. Don't be okay anymore. Don't just settle for okay Christianity anymore. It's time for Martin Luther to rise up in our generation and declare, I've had enough of all the churchiness. I want Jesus. So I've got to tell you today, this is your opportunity. Today is the opportunity to lay aside all of what the world can give you for the sake of something that's going to last beyond your flesh. Today we need 
than indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We need to be changed by him today. And it does take some time to say this. I don't care where the world goes. I don't care where the church goes. I'm going to follow where Jesus goes. Because where he's going, that's where I want to be. So i got to tell you, there is this absolute moment. By the way, that happened forever ago, but in two days on the 31st is when Martin Luther nailed that to the door of the church. So while you go out and you're like, oh, I'm not going to celebrate Halloween, celebrate Reformation Day. That a man in history decided to take a stand for the truth of God's word. Um, I want to make two quick notes of something real quick. Number one, praise God that he has sent out people today. We have a large group at our church that are in Oklahoma at a marriage retreat right now. Put on by our church. People working on their marriages and diving into that. We encourage you. We've got so many great things that happen in marriage ministry. If you're someone that's married in this room today, um, come find me after church. I'd love to plug you into what you can do to strengthen your marriage. And a marriage retreat's a piece of that puzzle, but it is not the whole puzzle. We believe that God has got some great tools for you uh, inside of the church at Quail Creek to strengthen your marriage and to lead it forward. Uh, so please take every opportunity for that. The other is this. Um, we have friends in the ministry that you and I, when we give in the offering plate, helps us to partner with ministries um, all over our city. And one of those is Life Challenge. These guys are our friends. Man, they come and help us out at concerts. But much more than that, they touch our whole city. Um, if you've not looked into Life Challenge, what they do, they move beyond themselves. They reach anybody and everybody for the sake of Jesus. And these guys are searching just like you and I for more and more of Jesus every day. So do me a favor if you would. They're here with us today. Let's give a God of praise for our friends at Life Challenge. Thank you guys for being here. Appreciate y'all. Every time they show up, people go, is that a search committee? Which, by the way, would be the largest search committee ever assembled. That would be really bad for a church to do, like, send everybody, right? And they always look amazing. And so, guys, thank you all for being here. We, we really appreciate having you all here this morning. So join me, if you will. We finished Second Peter last week, if you remember. And I told you we weren't going to leave First Peter alone in Scripture. Today we're going to finish out this series of Rocky II in First Peter chapter 1, verse 18. If you'll join me in Scripture there uh, in First Peter. See, I'm not marking my Bible either. By the way, I... Uh, I bought a Bible uh, because I'd, I'd read through mine about three and a half times, and the binding started to break down. So I decided what I would do is I would stop using that Bible, and I'd start making notes for my oldest child, my daughter, in it. And I'm going to give it away to her eventually with notes from her dad in Scripture. And so I went and bought a second Bible with the intention of doing the same thing, reading it through several times and then retiring it and writing letters to my son in it. The problem is the Bible I bought for last week when I had it was different than what was on the screen and in the few Bibles in front of you. And I didn't know that. And so I read it confidently and I finished out and I had several people go, I think you read wrong on Sunday. And I was like, well, that, that could happen. And they said, no, I, I, were you using the wrong Bible? And I was. So this Sunday, hopefully, I've got a different one today. And so hopefully we're there together today. So let's start together, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. We're going to finish out through the 23rd verse. For if you, have, if, if you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish, 
He was chosen before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of times for you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. By obedience to the truth, having purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. I want to stop there in this this chapter just to kind of give us a finality, and this certainly isn't the end of Peter's first letter by a long shot, but I wanted to go through exactly what Peter's going to lay out for the whole chapter of first, or whole book of first Peter, and then talk to you again about what we learned from Peter's life and how we ended his life in second Peter. First is this, just like Martin Luther, this letter from Peter says the exact same thing, and, and here's what we get. Number one, Jesus exchanged our emptiness for inheritance. Jesus exchanges our emptiness for inheritance. This seems absurd, doesn't it? That we would bring an empty vessel and God would give us inheritance for it. But that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus takes the sin of a broken person and he takes that sin, the emptiness of a person's life, and he exchanges for that the riches and greatness of a life contained in eternal life through him, the inheritance of God. It's an amazing change of events. It is something that's given for nothing. I heard the other day that a man went into a, a, a discount store and he was looking around at all the stuff that was worn out and used and abused and he found a painting that he thought would hang just perfectly in his office. So he went and he bought it for, I think it was like $25. And I remember him saying in the article, he thought that $25 was too expensive, but he did it anyway. And so he takes the $25 painting and he hangs it up, and years go by. Finally, a, a man comes to his house to interview for a job, and he looks at the wall and he says, you must be wealthy. And he said, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean? And he said, you have a Rembrandt on your wall. And he said, oh, if it's a Rembrandt, it's, a, it's just a copy. And he goes, no, no, no. You need to have this checked out. And so he goes and he has it checked out, and sure enough, genuine painting. What he bought for $25 was worth $5 million. It's the exchanging of worthless for valuable. And if we're being honest today, Scripture says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means this, none of us brings God anything of wealth. All we bring him is brokenness. And he is great with this, by the way. He's great with brokenness. In fact, I believe that God likes people that know their brokenness over people that feel like they have none. Because people that are broken can be remolded. Because there's only one potter, right? We are all the clay. We're all breathed out of dust. So each of us has the same thing in common. We should all be named Dusty, right? That's who we are. And so when we come to God broken, then he can start to remold us into what he wants us to be. What's amazing about that is this. He takes broken and worthless and makes them the inheritance. He makes you children of God. And so you don't live a life anymore of someone that has nothing. For you and I in Christ, even though on this side of heaven we may not have what the world considers wealth. That side of heaven, we are God's children. We will lack for nothing. Isn't that amazing? I, I, I've often thought of how sincere it is when I visit people who are, who are in a state of knowing that they're about to go home to meet the Lord. 
And there's this peace moment in those few weeks. They all say the same thing. I just can't wait to see Jesus. You know, in those moments, they don't say, I just wish I could go make about $500 more. I just wish that I could go one more time to Paris. I just wish that I was in Forbes magazine, because then I would feel complete. No, they all say the same thing. I just can't wait to go home. Why is it that we live that way at the end of our lives and not during our lives? Why is it that we don't prepare ourselves for things that are going to be awesome and just live in the okay? There was one day that I was flying back from a conference, and, and we had taken off, and it was a really kind of overcast day and dark and gloomy, and, and our plane takes off, and then we, we do, if you've ever been on a plane, you, you go over the tops of the clouds, right? And over the top of the cloud, do you know what I saw? The sun. All of a sudden, I was over the top of the storm below me, and it was a clear day above it. And it's amazing when we put things in perspective, the storms of our life versus the reality of what's really there. Because we tend to live under the storms. We tend to let things take over our lives, addictions, pain, sorrow, whatever it is. And we get this view of God as though God isn't good. God is always good. we got to look through the storm. And as children of God, we got to quit looking at the tangible things and start looking at the eternal things. we got to start getting our eyes focused because Jesus has exchanged something for us. And at some point, our eyes have to be opened. The problem is this. When we think of this exchange life, we think of it in terms of Indiana Jones. Remember the moment Indiana Jones walks in and he sees the golden idol sitting up on its perch? And he walks in and he's, he's looking at this golden idol and he has this sandbag, remember? And he throws some sand out and he kind of goes, yeah, I think that's about right. And he changes it out. Y'all remember this? Has the golden idol on one hand. Everything seems good until what happens next? Everything starts rumbling and a huge boulder rolls towards him. And that's what we think it's going to be like in faith. That if we exchange, you know, Jesus for us, that some boulder's going to roll us over. Because we see how broken the world is. In fact, we see how broken the church is. And so we're like, what difference does it make? I'll live how I want to live and I get the same exact experience. See, this is the problem. It was the same problem that Martin Luther saw that day in the road. He saw what we keep seeing and what we keep experiencing is this. Is following Jesus, does it make any difference? Does it make any difference to you that when you followed after Jesus, did it change your life any? Or did you just kind of experience the same thing? Did you just wake up and go, well, well now I'm a follower of Jesus? See, because I don't believe Jesus works that way. I don't believe that Jesus leaves us the same way. And if after you followed after Jesus, nothing changed, I kind of had to wonder, do you know this man? Do you know Jesus? Because he changes lives. And he exchanges the emptiness for inheritance. And that changes everything for us. It makes our trajectory longer and wider and greater. Because all of a sudden, now we're not living for us. We're not living under the clouds. Now we have this opportunity to focus on a holy God that we just sang about just a minute ago. That's what the angels keep declaring to God, by the way. Remember? Holy, holy, holy. And why is it that when we sing it, we don't get that same experience? I don't believe it's because God is further from us. Nor do I believe the Holy Spirit is silent. I just kind of wonder if we don't know that Jesus paid it all. And maybe all to him we owe. 
Because sin had left a crimson stain, and only he can wash it white as snow. What if that's our dilemma today? Is that we've worked ourselves into this easy pace of Christianity that doesn't have to involve Jesus. You ever bought knockoff food? Like, I'll give you a for instance. I love Oreo cookies. Amen? Y'all with me still? Oreo cookies are, I mean, there's going to be things in heaven that I believe are going to be at the Feast of the King. Chimichangas. Um, really good steak. Oreo cookies. And if, and I believe heaven's really good, so he's also going to mix it into Bluebell. So, uh, but Oreo cookies are great, unless you buy the knockoff. Any of y'all had this experience? Knockoff Oreos? They look like Oreos. I mean, they, chocolate cookies, white cream in the middle. How can you go wrong? You're not an Oreo. That's how you went wrong. You didn't even try. You just made it look the same. It doesn't taste like it. Not the same experience. You can duck it in milk all you want. Unless the milk is Oreo tasting milk, it's not going to taste like an Oreo. That's just how it works. Now, you may have a different experience. I'm just telling you, go buy both and try it yourself. There's the experiment of the week. Then work out your faith of fear and trembling. Anyways, but I'm just telling you, take, take my example in this. Knockoff Oreos don't taste like Oreos. And so if you're trying to trying to give us some equivalence that doesn't work out and kind of have to wonder if the Lord tastes and sees that the church is his do we taste like the real thing or do we taste like the knockoff and yeah we may be packaged like it and we may look like it but we don't taste like it and so the Lord keeps on calling us back to say listen go back to the word go back to scripture it's still good for you just know that today if you want to be authentically changed by God you have to come wholeheartedly to him. Amen. You can't be halfway here. You can't just have the packaging. You can't just come to church. Coming to church is a, a good part of spiritual growth and refinement, but it can't be your faith. you got to have something deeper than that. You know what happens when you start to pursue Jesus on your own? When you show up on Sundays, you experience something different. It's really interesting. We can make a, a really crazy experience where when you walked in the, the church that you had to slide down a, a slide to come in here. When you walked in, confetti was shot over your head every Sunday. And you'd be like, yay. But you know what happened like four weeks later? You'd hate the slide. Eventually you'd complain about the confetti. Because we can, we can program everything to make your Sunday experience like, yay. I had fun. But eventually that will grow old. And i got to tell you, the reason that churches are suffering the way they are is because we've allowed the experience to be everything, but not Jesus. So when, when Peter's writing, and he just tells them at the very get-go of verse 18, For you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of the Lamb. He's saying there's this exchange that happens. Either we live the life that our fathers gave us and we just say that that's enough, or we go after the non-perishable things. We go after the real thing, the authentic thing. The next thing that we learn from the scripture is this, Jesus gave us a way to faith and hope. To faith and hope. Here's, here's what that means. I believe it's impossible to have faith without God. I think it's like 
it'd be like this. I'm going to go fishing today. I'm not really because I, I don't fish. I buy fish so I don't have to clean fish or really cook fish. I like going to places that cook fish for me, if we're being honest. I, I don't want anything to do with fish except eat them. They're delicious. But it would be like me going, I'm going to go fishing today in my front yard. Just out there, just <laughs> Neighbors coming by. I'd probably catch somebody's dog or a stray cat at some point, but it'd be awesome. And uh, anyways, but you're out there fishing all day. Somebody comes by and goes, what are you doing? Fishing. Catching anything? No, the fish aren't biting today. Everybody would be like, that guy's crazy. Like, this is faith without Jesus. Like, we can have faith in things that don't matter. Or we can have faith in something that's always there. Something that always is close. Something that's real. Something that's tangible like Jesus. What's more is he gives us the opportunity for hope. Hope is a gift, right? And as far as hope goes, we know that we can place our faith and hope in something that's meaningful, real, and deep, and changing, and life-moving. Or we can put our hope and faith in things that will fail us. And I promise you this, the world is full of things that want to fail you. That's what they specialize in. The world specializes in things that will fail you. Let me give you some instances. You ready? The world tells you that you can put your hope and your faith in monetary things. I, I saw it on TV the other day. A man pops on TV and he says this. Have you lost your money in the stock market? Buy silver. Silver never is bad. Buy gold. Gold is worth everything in the world. You'll never lose money with gold. I often think this. I have to buy your gold. So step one, I lose my money. Because you're not going to lose money on your gold, right? Like the guy's not like, hey, I'm selling off all my gold at a discounted price. I never see that on TV. So you're going to lose some money there, right? Oh, but it's going to gain money. Any of y'all ever watch the stock market? Some of y'all every day, you're like, yeah, I watch stocks. Does anything stay the same? Does everything grow for eternity in the stock market? Nothing does. Nothing. So we can't put our hope in monetary. What about this? How many of you put your hope in your favorite sports team? Yeah, does your sports team win every year? Of course it doesn't. Of course it can't. How about this? Have you ever put your hope or your faith in, I don't know, your politicians? I don't even have to commentate about that one. Y'all just, just let that simmer. How about your hope or your faith in somebody being there for you 24-7? I had a buddy that came in to be counseled one time in a former church, and he said, when I got married, I, I had an agreement with my wife. She would always make sure the house was clean, food was on the table in the evening, and the kids were ready for school. And I went, oh, how's that working out? He said, well, most nights I have to go get food to bring it home. I'm helping get the kids ready, and our house is a mess. And I said, oh, and? And he said, well, shouldn't I divorce her? And I went, okay, before you start that, um, let me ask you, what does your wife do every day? Well, she works. What time does she leave the house? Like 6.30. What time do the kids leave the house? 7.30. I had to take them to school. I didn't know that was part of the deal. And I went, how big's your house? Oh, we just bought a new house. What about your cars? Oh, we have a couple of new cars. And so could you pay for all that? Well, of course not. But we wanted to live over here, so she went to work. But 
I'm just saying she's dropping the ball, bro. He put his hope and his faith in something that wasn't real. And maybe you've been that same way. Maybe relationships have hurt you. And maybe you feel like today that people just don't understand what's going on in your life. And if you're being honest, you would like to just say, I've had enough, God. I, you didn't make your, uh, your end of the bargain in this. Because when I came to you, my life was going to be perfect. Everything was going to go right. My stocks were going to go up. My kids were going to be beautiful. And my cars were never going to run out of gas. I was never going to have to go to Walmart again. Praise God. Please, Lord. Amen. Okay, uh, that was a prayer moment for me. Anyways, but God, you didn't keep your end of that bargain, so my life is hard. And God's like, really? Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. The question is this, what does God owe you? What does God owe any of us in this room? Because if we're being really honest, we would say that God owes us an awful lot. Maybe God owes you an explanation this morning. And that's what you're telling him. I would pray to you, I would, I would worship you, but you owe me a lot of explanations. Maybe it's God, you owe me because I'm hurt and wounded about something, and you owe me because of that. Maybe it's, God, you owe me because I've done so much for you, you owe me. And all of that could be lined up on a spreadsheet, and I promise you one thing would not equal out if we were doing ledger to ledger. Jesus gave his all. And while I love saying that as a preacher, as a man that wounds me deeply, because there's a lot of times I'll tell God all that he owes me. And maybe you've done the same thing. You've had that moment in prayer where you're like, well, God, I don't like this. And I feel like you need to tell me why. Like God needs to owe us an explanation. Or God, I've done so much for you and nothing's lining up for me. What's up with that? I can promise you if today you sold all your property and you moved off to Africa to serve a tribe that's not heard of Jesus and, and you gave the rest of your life to it, God still owes you nothing because he gave you everything. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life, but he doesn't stop there. He didn't just stop with salvation for you. Then he calls you sons and daughters of God. Those that believe in Jesus, he gives the rights to be called sons and daughters of God. That makes you someone that gets inheritance. And we have a God who is so much more than we can imagine. He is not stuck on monetary things. He paves his streets with gold. Like gold is his hot mix. And so, like, even gold to him has very little standard. He makes his gates like pearly uh, of pearls. I mean, his, his pearls are our beat-up wood in our backyard holding our fence together. He doesn't look at wealth like we do. He looks at intimacy different than we do as well. Because on our side of heaven, as we look through the rain clouds and we declare to him, you have failed me, you have forgotten me, You've distanced yourself from me. God goes, I haven't moved. Look through the clouds. Quit looking this way. Look this way. Look where I'm at. There's a story of this dad who was coming home late from work one day, and he pulled up on his house that was engulfed in flames. 
In the front yard is his wife and son, and they're coughing, and they're soot covered, and the wife looks up and says, our daughter didn't make it out. And he looks up in the upstairs window, and he sees his daughter. And he says, I need you to climb out onto the roof. And she climbs out, and as she steps out, the smoke comes up in front of her view. From where the dad's standing, he can still see the silhouette of his daughter, but she can't see him. And he simply says this to her, honey, you're going to have to jump. Your daddy will catch you. And she said, but dad, I I can't see you. I can hear you, but I don't know where to jump to. And he says, I promise you if you will just jump, I can see you and I will catch you. I will not let you fall. The daughter leaps into her dad's arms who catches her and rescues her and saves her. The problem this side of heaven is this. Smoke is in our eyes. And everything in faith is a jump away. And frankly, we're standing at the edge asking God, God, why won't you move me into this? Or God, why won't you change this in my life? And God's going, jump. I'm here. I can see you. I will not let you fall. But you're going to have to jump. And too often we stand on the edge and don't make any moves and suffer the consequences. Have you been there? I know I have. How many times I've been so afraid to to let God take the lead of my life and I've stayed so afraid and so dormant when I should have been moving. And God's just declaring, jump, come on, we can do this. You don't have to do this alone. I'm right here. And so as Peter's writing this letter, he reminds them that God has such a plan for you. What's more is there's an extreme value. I miss this one. There's an extreme value in Jesus' death for us. So when we get this full picture that Jesus has exchanged our emptiness for his inheritance, there's an extreme value in Jesus' death and that Jesus gave us a way to faith and hope. Here's the the next to last one. He called once again to the nature of of Jesus' love. I want you to see this. Verse 21, it says, as we read it, he was chosen, verse 20, before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of times for you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God by obedience to the truth, having purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again not of perishable seed. Remember, that's, that's the old way of life, but of imperishable. There's that exchange again. We are called once again to the nature of Jesus' love. And then the last is this. We are given the right to a new birth certificate. You know, I can remember where I was. I've shared it before. Seven years old, Crosbyton, Texas. I can remember that moment of hearing the revival preacher We're at a big tent revival preaching and saying, you need to give your life to Christ. He'll change your life. It may not be easy, but it'll be worth it. And I can remember him saying those words. And I can remember the song um, that was saying that that day, if you'll take one step toward the Savior, my friend, do you remember that? You'll find his arms open wide. I remember that song. And I can remember in my heart going, I'm going to walk the aisle, but I was so afraid. I was standing at the edge going, I know that I need to give my life to Christ. I just can't make that jump. And I remember going home and sitting in my living room. And as a seven-year-old kid, I remember not wanting to show my tears. But I can remember in the living room just being so broken and heart-rendering just moment that I just couldn't even 
kind of get out the words. And in my living room there in Crosbyton, Texas, in this white two-story house, I remember my family coming around me and coaching me through how to give my heart to Jesus. And I can remember as, as tense as the moment was before then when I needed to make the jump, when I did, it was like refreshment instantly was poured into my life. That's Jesus. Jesus is not someone that stands back and says, jump, and when you jump goes, whoop, sorry about you. You should have looked where you were jumping. That's what we think he does. And frankly, that's why we refuse to jump. Because we want a Jesus that we can see through the smoke. We want to say to Jesus, I can't see you, and you made water get still, so if you can move the smoke away so that I can see you before I jump, that would be a whole lot more convenient for me. And frankly, I believe this. Faith requires jumping. Faith requires jumping. It requires for you to say, Lord, I hear you calling me. I hear what you're saying. And right now, whether it costs me everything, I'm going to jump. Because I know you're there. I know you're there. Scripture lines up with that. Uh, I've got good counsel. I know exactly what you're saying, so I'm jumping. And I promise you, when you jump, you don't jump very far. Because in the story I just told you, how far up did you put the daughter? You put her way up, didn't you? Because when we think of faith, we think of leaps like from the top of the wall back there down to the floor. We go, it has to be big leaps. But I believe this with all my heart. I believe when you jump, God is instantly there. He doesn't let you fall and go, ah! No, I think when you jump, God meets you and goes, that was the test. That was what I asked you to do. Let's go. Let's go. I believe that's what God wants for us, is he's going to lead you to these moments where you can fill the ledge with your toes. And you're going to feel that moment of, God, I know you're calling me to do something, but if I do that, God, it's going to cost me something. And you're going to hear these words in your mind, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. And you know why we need to hear that? Because while our toes may be over the edge, Jesus is waiting off the ledge for you. He's always waiting. He's always ready to see if you'll take a step for him. He's always waiting to see someone make a declaration of faith. He's always waiting for someone with a hammer and a nail with a thesis that be marked and declared that Jesus is all sufficient for us. Only through faith, only through hope, only through Jesus. So today is the question, are you standing here in your faith today, knowing full and well that God's called you to take a step that you're afraid to make? I mean, you may be broken at this level. You may feel like you don't have enough right now. You may feel like you're not sufficient enough. You don't have enough. You don't have an energy enough. You don't know the Bible enough. You haven't been to church enough. You haven't served enough. Whatever you've brought with you, your not enoughs are enough for Jesus. Because you don't have to bring greatness to him. He made you. He knows you. In fact, he was there. And he's still there for you. So because of that, though your toes fill the edge, and though your heart may be pounding, because you know God's called you to do something, and you know that taking that step will, might require somebody not to like you, may require someone not to be your friend, but you know you have to fall through with Jesus. 
Today is the day to jump. So that's why we do invitations. We do invitations to allow people to jump. We just declare to them, this is your moment. It's your moment to let Jesus be known. To take that next step, to make that leap, to go that next step. And it does require something. It requires you giving everything you have to Jesus. And saying, not only do I want you to save my sins, I want you to lead my life. Because I can't do this. I'm going to need you to say to jump when I can't see you. So Lord, be the Lord of my life. So this morning I want to invite you. I want to invite you. I'm going to be down here. Craig's going to be down here with me this morning. And he and I are going to be down here to greet you. And so as we're down here, we're here just to be there with you. Maybe it's a leap moment for you. Maybe it's a prayer moment for you. Maybe you need somebody alongside you. But I want to encourage you today to come and find yourself at the altar this morning during an invitation. But here's what's more. I believe there's people in this room that are called to take the leap of being there for other people. And this morning, you need to come and join Craig and I at the front just to be there for someone. I don't know who that is. There's no one planning to come meet you. But maybe you just need to be available today to stand and be there, to pray with someone, to guide them, to help them as they leap, to come alongside them. So today, I'm going to invite you into a new way of doing things for this morning. Maybe today you need to come help us pray for people, be with people, join with people, leap with people. Today, let's let the Lord lead these next steps. This morning is the morning to leap. Will you listen to Jesus and do so? Let's pray. Father in heaven, that's my prayer, Lord. Lord, that you just help us to leap. God, that you'd help us to, to focus in on you in these next few moments. God, that your Holy Spirit would speak over our hearts and that he would change us. And God, that in these moments that you would speak over people's lives. God, we all need you. We declare that at the first of service. All of us have brokenness. All of us need healing. So because of that, Lord, we ask that you would step through right now. Lord, you'd call out our names, and God, that we would leap. So God, we pray, Lord, that as the curtain falls on Rocky II, this series, God, that it would open now, Lord, to our story. God, that you'd change our lives. God, that you'd lead us. And that we would experience the holiness of a real Jesus that wants to change our lives. Lord, that's our prayer. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Why don't you stand with us as we sing you come. Now is the time. Now is the time to leap. So take your leap right now.